Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 111 with Kevin McElroy, and we met at a party and got to talking about him and his life, and he's a really interesting guy, and so here he is on Hey Human to talk about uh, something very fascinating. Uh, He's a new dad, and in being a new dad, it stirred up a whole lot of feelings about his own childhood and uh, some stuff he found out. Now, technically, you probably already know if you've read the poster or any of the social media stuff or even (laughs) the description of this episode, you know that uh, Kevin is a result of in vitro. But the story is uh, more layered than that, and it's a really fascinating one. Um, We reference a lot of things. We talk about um, identity, and we talk about you know, the nurture nature thing. Um, there's a lot that we unpack. And in doing so, um, he, Kevin referenced a couple books. Uh, they are on the links page on heyhumanpodcast.com if you want to check any of those references out. Um, and speaking of the links page, I'm going to tell you again that my dad's book that he wrote, which is fantastic, if I do say so, being his daughter, Uh, The book is called Margaret Outrageous Fortune, and his moniker is Martin March. So it's on Amazon, and it's really good, and you can get a hard copy book or a download. So since we're talking about Kevin being a dad, I'm going to talk about my dad and his book. I really want him to sell lots of copies because it's really good, and I'm really proud of him. Um, And I'm not just saying that. I've actually gotten a bunch of phone calls from people who are like, oh my gosh, this book is so good. I can't believe it. Um, so yeah, pretty neat. Uh, Amazon portal is on the heyhumanpodcast.com website. If you shop on Amazon, click on that, uh, portal and shop like you normally do. And it helps support Hey Human, helps keep Hey Human ad free. Um, and the poster, I went to North Carolina, as many of you know, from last week's episode, I got buck naked and body painted and that result of that body painting is now on a poster and it's another way to help support Hey Humans. Go to the store on the website and get yourself a poster. For those of you following my music stuff, my performing songwriter stuff, I'm performing at Rockwood Music Hall with Nikki Fernandez on July 7th, which is a Saturday. And you can find tickets to that on Ticketfly or just go to SusanRuth.com and there's a link on that front page. I'm also playing The Triple Door in Seattle on August 6th. That's a Monday, and that show, I think, is at 7.30, and you can find tickets for that at tickets.thetripledoor.net, but you can also go to justsusanruth.com, and there's a link on there for that. So if you're in Seattle or New York or the surrounding areas, please come see a show. That'd be super cool. Come up and say, hey, I listen to Hey Human, and, you know, make yourself known. I would love that. You can email me if you want to, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. I answer everybody's emails. And really, just thank you for listening. Uh, Keep spreading the word, and I appreciate it. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation you're about to hear, and uh, I'm glad I get to share it with you. So here we go. Kevin McElroy. Hey, how are you? I'm well. Welcome to Hey Human. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah. Um, 
here you are in my, this is my new room. I used to do it in the kitchen uh, and it was so bouncy and soundy. So now we're here. Nice. It's we'll beautiful. see how this one turns out. Eventually uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try and build something downstairs, but nice. you know, like we do that. what we can. Yeah, we do absolutely. what we can do in the moment so we can do them. Um, so you and I met at a party about what two months ago now. It was about two months ago. Yeah, time goes so quickly. It was for um, it was a celebration of some of a singer songwriter. She had just released. Oh, it was it was our mutual friend Olivia Rudine. Hi, Olivia. I uh, was having a party. <laughs> so we got into a conversation, and the uh, subject of fatherhood came up. I became a new father a, a little over a year ago. Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, we were discussing the uh, interesting background from which I come from and how it's kind of shaped uh, fatherhood for me and also kind of how it's shaped um, really just defining masculinity in general. Okay, uh, well, let's start yeah. actually at the birth of your child. And we're going to kind of we're going to go back and forth because, so you had a child. Had you? Yes. Now I know what the secret is. Did you know what the secret was before you had the child? Is it a boy or a girl? It's a girl. Okay. Before you had your daughter, um, yeah. did you know the thing that you found out? Um, so what I found out was, yes, I did. You had known already. Okay. Yes. So maybe we yeah. go back a little further. Let's, let's go back to, uh, you were born in where? Mission Viejo, California. Okay, so you're mm-hmm. from California, and yeah. your parents uh, stayed together through your childhood, or no? Or no, they were divorced when by the time I was two. Oh, so early. Yeah, yeah. Okay, how did that shape you? <laughs> so, you probably don't really notice, <laughs> yeah. but well, so the the whole background of this is basically so so my mom and my my dad were married for for about ten years uh, prior to having me, and. My dad was much older than my mom at the time, and he had had a vasectomy, but my mom was adamant on, on having a child, so she he had said that he was willing to reverse that vasectomy when they were ready to have a kid. Mm. So when the time came down to it, he had backed out of that promise and left my mom kind of disappointed, obviously, because she had planned on... Um, that being the case. Did he say why he backed out? He had already had three kids at the time, and I guess it was just... Too much? Yeah. How much older is he than she? So he is a little over 20 years older. Oh, wow. That's a big yeah. difference. Yeah. So. Um, and how old was she in this time frame? What is... So she must have been close to 34, because let's... Let me actually do the math real quick. So it's 14, so it's only about 14 years okay. apart. Yeah, and my mom was, was close to 34. So she was like, I need to have this baby. Yes, Yeah. exactly. And um, at the time, UCLA, uh, because they, they lived in, in Los Angeles, kind of close to UCLA's campus, they were rolling out what's now kind of the like designer baby thing, the in vitro fertilization. Um, I don't want to call it experiment because that sounds weird, but uh, <laughs> it was the, the project, I guess we'll call it. Uh, so as a solution, she decided to go down to UCLA and you could basically structure in, uh, in vitro fertilization uh, deal based off of the genetics of of who my dad was right so he had irish blood and 
uh, I forgot what what other tall. DNA components. Yeah, tall. Blue eyes. Exactly. Think, yeah, right? blue, blue eyes. eyes yeah. yeah uh-huh. So basically, she just kind of took note of everything that my dad was. Went down to UCLA, filled out the the, so the she sample. She at least card. tried to match. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, and. And then I came from that, which is kind of amazing. How so. did your, uh, how did her, I don't know, is he, he's still your dad, right? How he, did, did you is, refer yeah. to him as? I, so yeah, my whole life growing up until 2013, mm-hmm. I referred to him as, as my dad and considered him my full biological dad. But you didn't know you were in vitro. Not until 2013, no. So that's just like half a minute ago. Exactly. In the yeah. grand scheme of, of things. Yes. Yeah. So they got um, they got divorced when I was two. Well, hold on. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So she she says, okay, if you're not going to give me a baby, I'm going to go build a baby. And it's like build a bear. Build a bear. Exactly. She goes down to the mall. It's, it's build a Kevin. <laughs> um, did your dad have reservations about that? Or did he thought, well, okay, that's, that's fine? Or... Do you, in retrospect, I guess everything you learned, you learned later, but do you know if he had? I don't think he was excited about it, but he knew that there wasn't a lot that he could do to prevent her from doing it. It's pretty expensive, is it not? It is, yeah. And um, f- full disclosure, so obviously my mom knows that I know because she was the one who told me. My my dad still doesn't know that I know, actually. But he knows. So. But he knows, yes. He knows, but he doesn't know you know. Here today in 2018. Correct, yes. Um, Plot twist. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Why does he not know? Well, so I just found out in 2013, and I guess there would be some... I I don't have a good answer to that. I just, I haven't told him that. Should we call your mom? (laughs) Should we? Yeah, just get her on (laughs) the phone. Just call her, get her right on the phone and ask her. (laughs) Um... From what I picked up from the conversation with my mom, it, it might be troublesome for him to hear it that I know. But I think it's important to talk about these things and not kind of keep that in the dark necessarily. So, so you're two when they get divorced. Is their divorce have anything to do with your existence? Not. I know the... they always say, it's not your fault, Kevin. But, you know, I don't know if... Right. Considering these circumstances. From from what I know about the story is uh, it was just a difference of, it was a personality clash more than it was to do with me. Okay. Um, and so I think my mom being a lot younger than my dad had a lot to do with it. She was very driven and still is a really driven, um, successful businesswoman. And I think um, that may or may not have uh been bothersome to to my dad at the time Uh um i think there was just a lot of personality clash there so it was Uh it was time to to kind of go their own ways on Uh that Uh um so you grew up they get divorced you spend i assume part-time with dad part-time with mom all the while do you kind of look like your dad do you i do not at all so all the while so much for designer babies. Exactly. <laughs> so I mean, you're a good-looking man. Obviously, you are very tall and fit and all that stuff. So she got that right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe she just don't like, tell your wife I said yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm flattered. Um, 
Yeah, maybe maybe she just checked a couple extra boxes <laughs> on there. I'm not sure exactly. Um, so so no, so so I don't really look a lot like him. Um, I uh, did that occur to you when you were a kid? So I've been thinking a lot about that lately because, uh, full disclosure, when I found out in in 2013, it didn't. It didn't really shock me that much. It's only now that that I'm a dad that it, that all of these kind of thoughts and feelings about the whole thing are bubbling up, and I've really been reflecting uh, back on my whole life, basically. So, so to get back to your question, uh, I would be. So my mom and I lived lived in Arizona for a while, and then we moved to Oregon, which is basically where I'm from. I was there from fifth grade all the way through college, but. Every summer, I would go spend time with my grandma, who was my mom's mom, and then also my dad down there in California, because they were um, within a couple hours of each other. Mm-hmm. So I would split each summer between them. And every time I would go see my dad, it was it was great. We would have a lot of fun. He lived right next to Disneyland, so we would go to Disneyland and hang out and do all these things. But uh, there was always this sense of, maybe this isn't the guy. He doesn't look like me. Um, I'm not really getting this overwhelming sense of like, oh man, this is my dad. Like he's, this is it. You know, it's like, I always had affection towards him and and really, really love him. But uh, there was always just, I don't know if it was an intuitive sense or or what it was. Do you feel like he had that as well toward you or did he mask it well and love you the way a dad loves it? Now, especially now that you have a child, you kind of have in your mind what that means. Did he... Uh, was reciprocity there of your love toward him? Um, or did, you know, I mean, it's a great question of the biological need to bond, to be bound to those who created us. Totally. And yeah. then if, if that, even without knowing if that biological uh, connection isn't there, some part of you goes, hmm. Exactly. <laughs> it's fascinating. Yeah. I, so, and I think I picked up on that because it was more of like, visiting a friend than it was being in the presence of your father. But that was, was that his behavior? Or do you think that was your innate, your intuition, if you will? That's, that's an excellent question. I, um, I think he tried to connect as best as he could, but it was more surface level, catch up, get to know you kind of thing. So I think it was, I'm gonna have to. I'm, yeah, I would have to say that that it was more behavior based. Yeah, than he it was. had some standoffish, maybe then. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, and I, and I guess it felt normal at the time because in my mind I was like, well, we don't get to see each other that much, so we're trying to find some common ground and catch up with each other. But now looking back on it, there's something a little bit more to it than that. Mm-hmm. So I, he has he has three other kids besides me as well, and they they were are are my half siblings. And I kind of wish I had more time to see him interact with them to kind of compare. Mm, mm-hmm. But every time I was with him, uh, it was more just us or we would be with one of my half siblings. And uh, but I didn't really get to see them interact a lot. Yeah. So. So, yeah, so so there was those visitations and then I would go back over to be with my mom and my grandma, my mom's mom, and they obviously knew everything that was going on. And just the way some things were were described about my dad, it was always as a distant person and not someone that was, like, really 
connected in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone was in on it. Everyone's in on it, yeah. Except for you. Except for me. So growing up, that's a, you know that's an interesting thing to to kind of go through because as I start to get older and older, I'm noticing you know there's there's these. Uh, all my friends around me have these uh, kind of nuclear families and their dads are coming out to their sporting events or they're coming to specific, you know, father-related events. Um, and so I had a lot of questions regarding why that wasn't the case. Mm. So, um, And what, what would your dad yeah. say when you asked him? More of a chess guy than a sports guy? Or? <laughs> yeah, right. No, I, uh, it was usually just didn't have, like, didn't have the time or resources to get out there. Um, it was usually, usually played off like that. I think there was a lot going on behind the scenes, but I'm not sure exactly mm-hmm. what it was. Are you close to him now? Uh, kind of. We see each other about once a year. We'll talk on the phone every once in a while. Um, but not not that close. So I find it interesting that you found out in 2013, but he still doesn't know here in 2018. It's almost like the power position has shifted. Now you know something that he doesn't know, whereas your whole life he knew something you didn't know. Right. It's and interesting. It is <laughs> interesting. It's like this strange turn of fortune. It is, and I'm not. I don't know what it would change necessarily if I was to tell him. Do you think if you? Well, I mean, I could muse on that. Perhaps. Do you yeah. think it would give him permission to then check out completely from your life because he's like, oh well, I'm not your biological dad, so see you later, kid. Nice knowing you. Or you that's, know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good question, and maybe maybe that is an underlying fear. I haven't I haven't really processed that too much. Um, I don't think that would be the case. I what I've what I've kind of come up with is it it doesn't really change much if he does or doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, if we have kind of gotten to this point in thirty two years of my life and it's we're kind of as close as we're gonna get for the most part, um, then I almost kind of want to let that lie and really just take the experience as as a reflection. Um, and a tool to frame kind of my experience now. How did you find out? So going back to what we were talking about, how we kind of had that innate feeling that that he might not have been the guy, so to speak. <laughs> uh, my uncle had come to visit me here in Nashville back in like 2011, and we were getting into a conversation. This is your mother's father or your father? My, um, my mother's brother. Oh, I'm sorry, Matt. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's Uncle, good. right. Yes. Yeah. So he came to visit, and um, we just got into a conversation, and he was talking, and all of a sudden he, he dropped this hint about that maybe... I was talking about my dad, uh, and he dropped some kind of hint. I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was along the lines of, are you sure he's your dad? And I was like, interesting. So I kind of locked eyes with him. Him and I are semi-close. We were, we were closer when I was younger um, because he served as sort of like a father figure. He was around a lot and then not for a while, um, just as a sidebar. But so when I'm having this conversation with him, I'm kind of, I think he's messing with me. So I kind of just brush it off. But I mentioned that conversation to my mom and she doesn't really say any much about it at the time. 
Well, when we flash forward to 2013, I'm on vacation with my mom. Went down to uh, Cozumel, Mexico. Um, and we're just kind of hanging out. And I bring it up again about that comment from, from my uncle. And she kind of takes a deep breath and... You know, it's like this very dramatic kind of revelatory pause. She's like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just tell you what happened. So she goes into the story about how my dad was going to have the vasectomy and then he he pulled a uh, reverse vasectomy and then... Uh... He pulled out? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help yeah, myself. Yeah, no, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, yes, he pulled out. Uh... <laughs> uh, so, the, so so she goes through the story that way and... Um, just tells me what I told you earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And how, what did you do? So I feel like a genius at first. Like I have this psychic powers because I'm like, I called it. I was right the whole time. I'm not crazy. Like this is whatever I was feeling is validated now, which is, uh, that's a weird feeling to feel, right? You're like, is this a thing? I don't, I don't know if I should go try what else, you know, I might have psychic powers about it, but that wasn't, that wasn't it. Um, so I was a little surprised, but I wasn't devastated necessarily. I know my mom was really nervous to tell me this whole time because she thought that it was just going to tear me down. Like, how could this Mm. be the thing? But, um, what does that do for you in that moment? Uh, as an identity, because we are an amalgamation of, of, our whole family structure, whether that's uh, influenced by activity or just personage, you know, just DNA. Yeah. In that moment, were you wondering, who is Kevin now if I'm part mom but part some buddy in a jar? Exactly. Um, what's so funny is we're on a cruise ship at the time when she's telling me this, and we're kind of out in the middle of, of the ocean going between... Uh, someplace down there in Mexico. Anyway, at the so, Sunday bar. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but it's a, but it's I love a, cruises. I <laughs> love the ice cream bars. I know. So great. It's awesome. <laughs> um, so we're kind of sitting out on the deck. It's nighttime, and and she's telling me that. And as she tells me that, I get that similar feeling of kind of like a ship out at sea. Like you don't really know where your anchor point is after hearing something like that because exactly uh, what you said. You're part fully biological to your mom, but also part from, like, successful experiment kind of thing. Um, For most of my life, though, I feel like I've struggled with identities and feeling of isolation and things like that. So to have that be a cherry on top, so to speak, it almost just reinforced that... that, um, identity that I have for myself. Why do you see I find that interesting too because I've read uh, articles about um, people who are adopted feeling a sense of abandonment even when they're adopted into very very loving homes even as infants and raised up in families who clearly adore them and provide for them that they still have this innate sense of wanting yeah and I find that very curious and so you saying that you struggled with the, your own identity, and, and I find that intriguing. Yeah, definitely. Because, like, so even with this whole revelation thing being an isolated incident, 
the way I grew up was still unique in and of itself, even if my dad was my biological awesome. dad. Um, just from uh, from a single mom and being an only child, mm. that that in and of itself is is not a very common. Uh, I mean, it's a lot more common nowadays. But um, why did she only choose to do it once? I wonder. Uh, she had said that she was going to go back to to try to do another one, and I I um have forgotten why she decided not to. I think. It might have just been too much. It would have been interesting if she had picked the same donor. Yeah. Because then there would be this other being that you would have felt a connection to because it would have been 100% the same DNA as you. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Or, you know what I mean by that. Yes. Yeah. You're your own DNA, but made up of them. Right, but I have a companion in this interesting journey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not exactly sure why. I think... um, Maybe too much time had passed, and then she felt like she was too old for mm-hmm. it. Because she was... Yeah, I think by the time she was considering that, she was already close to 40. So I, I think it was um, just a timing issue. Um, so, yeah, so I have always had that sense of, of just being different. Because everyone around me, their family structure was completely different they had they had a dad in the house or they had a sibling or something like that so to be just with my mom and just by myself not really knowing why i don't get to see my dad that much outside of it's just reserved for the summertime and then not not never really feeling super whole complete and connected within myself because i'm just kind of feeling like uh not seen, misunderstood, a whole amalgamation of things. Did you? Amalgamation. <laughs> did you? Good one. Did yeah. you uh, voice this to your mom, or your uncle, for that matter? Yeah. Or did yeah. you basically keep it and maybe talk to your friends, or was it? Were you a man as an island, and you just sort of kept it to yourself? Kind of, kind of an island. My grandma at the time, my mom's mom. Um, I was very close with her, so she was kind of. Um, kind of the have, like the safe haven through mm-hmm. throughout everything um, that I could kind of confide in and talk with. And she still never let on to um, my dad not actually being my dad, but she just was a very safe person to open up to um, and someone I was, I was really thankful for. My mom at the time was really focused on her career and while she did the best that she could uh to provide like a stable environment for us it was still it was very strained between us um in terms of you know I'm a young man trying to figure out all <laughs> who I am what how I fit and, and all of those things all the turmoil that comes with that um and then we had a lot of struggles with Like school related issues, it was a lot. It was a, it was very tense. It was it was definitely. Were you acting tense. out? Uh, I wasn't. Were you no. underachieving? I was underachieving, uh-huh. so maybe that was a way of acting out. Sure. Yeah, um, and at the time, looking back on it, I think it was just from that lack of misunderstanding, a lack of solid leadership, a lack of um, feeling like safe and connected and if your parents hadn't divorced and there's no way to really know the answer to this this is all conjecture but if if your parents had stayed together do you think that would have been more of a a grounding 
for you? Or do you think you still would have had that sense that something was not quite right? I think I, I still would have had that sense, just knowing who they are based, based off of, um, you know, what I know of both of them individually. I, I would agree that they weren't the best fit together. So I think that probably would have made it a little more, uh, even even more like tumultuous than it, mm-hmm. than it was. Mm-hmm. So uh, it would have provided kind of a buffer, a barrier to my mom's stress. And I think in a lot of ways... I served to as a source of fulfillment for my mom, right? So she doesn't have a companion to go through this whole experience with at the moment at the time. So I almost inadvertently take the place of filling her need to feel complete and and belong. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) At the same time, um you know, she also has to be two parents in one. Did she date during your childhood? Uh, briefly in the beginning and then not for a long time. She didn't really marry until I was a senior in high school. Did you like him? I did, yeah. And they're still together, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Did so he I feel did. like a dad figure to you? Um, I don't believe so. He more Since I was, you know, 17 at the time, he more took like a, a friend approach to it. Um, but it did take the focus off of me. In a lot of ways, my mom was kind of able to be herself more than she was um, in all those previous years. And at that point, the pressure is off of me to um, fulfill a whole host of needs outside of just trying to grow up. So So she looked to you to be the companion? Yes. Well, I felt that, even though she may not have, have expressed that. I, f- I felt that pressure there to, to provide that. So, so it's interesting because as you're growing into yourself as a teenager, the natural order of things, of course, is you you start growing into your own sexuality and your own uh, friendship bases and all that kind of stuff. So if there's this overwhelming presence, how does that shape you in terms of how you're discovering the girls you like and the you know the things that you do and... yeah so I had to kind of edit a lot of that um some of it was very out in the open and I could discuss some of it but a lot of it um edit you mean your experiences you were having yeah okay um You're editing now. I can see that. <laughs> well, <laughs> by so the look on your face, <laughs> I I was in trouble a lot. I just remember that there was always an issue with school. There was always an issue with not living up to some kind of standard. So I um, would just kind of go into myself a lot. Um, and did you look toward girls in school and stuff to help placate whatever it was you were missing, or did you simply go internal? Went went internal and then also. I remember being very nervous around girls. I it kind of were very scary. It's very scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At a younger age, obviously, and um, I think a lot of that had to do with um, 
maybe I was just feeling insecure around around my mom and so I transferred that meaning of um, isolation and insecurity towards towards that as as I got older though I some of my closest friends were girls I because I felt you know from having a lack of a father figure around I adopted more of a softer kind of um, I, for lack of a better term feminine side really like and so I was um, closer to a lot more girls than I was with guys and as I um, kind of progressed through the high school years I found myself almost when it when it came to other guy friends I, I was looking towards them as like a leadership type figure um, and sometimes that didn't always go the best uh, it was it was found in whatever you want to call the wrong crowd I guess and um, that was a battle within itself <laughs> did you get into drugs and stuff is that what you're trying to just tell a, me just a little bit of weed early okay. on and which wasn't well, what kind of trouble thing. did you get into it's statute of limitations long over right right yeah it wasn't even anything crazy um and your daughter won't be listening to this for another 16 years yeah so, so you can be honest <laughs> yeah just um just little simple stuff like ditching school and middle oh, school okay. you know throwing water balloons at cars it wasn't anything crazy the basic to juvenile stuff totally yeah, yeah. Yeah. Got it. Um, and you grew up, let's see if you're 30, you grew up in the 80s? In so, 90s? so like late 90s, yeah. Late 90s. So I was I'm born in 86, there. yeah. Oh, okay. 86. Yeah. I'm clearly so, excellent at math. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember the OJ chase. I remember when Kurt Cobain died. Uh, all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The OJ trial and the chase. That's funny. Um, anyway, sorry. So I, I got off track there. No, you're fine. Trying to, so, trying to uh, condense well, a lot down no, into this. And you don't need to condense either if, if you don't want to. Um, oh, okay. Uh, so, I'm just trying to think of. Okay, so you're. You said that you were. When we started, you mentioned the fact that you felt that all this shaped um, what it means to be a man. What do you mean by that? Is that what you were just talking about? That that tendency toward a maybe more softer masculinity because you're kind of a dude. <laughs> just looking at you, not Thank to you. typecast you, but I mean, you know. No, no, yeah. I um, and so so that's interesting. I've had to work on that extremely hard. So going, you know, going back to what I was saying um, before, uh, how I've always kind of been, well, so I'm naturally introverted, soft spoken. And have kind of kind of that softer feminine side from growing up the way the way I did. I hit a point at I can't remember exactly where it was where I was fairly ashamed of that, and I felt weak and even more insignificant. So I looked at super masculine individuals to kind of role model at the time, and that was kind of the later high school years into like early college, um, and that through that. I realized I didn't want to be that either, but I kind of adopted a balance between <laughs> a super bro and the more of the like <laughs> kind of uh, laid back artist type. On, but a lot, but a lot of that is is just manufactured masculinity through what I thought it looked like. So now I'm at this apex of like, well, if it's not what I thought it was, and it's and I don't have an example of when I was growing up. 
it's a unique opportunity to approach it in like a blank canvas sort of way. So if it's not stereotypical Western culture, super fit guy, and that, even though I may come off as that, it's more of, I don't want to say mass, but it is protective in some sort of way. It's almost metaphoric in the sense that like that stronger outer shell is going to protect that softer inner side that um, has always been there, but has also been kind of a source of shame and a source of vulnerability, I guess. Why, Why is it shameful to you? Why was it? I think because it represents that isolation and lack of identity that that I really fear um, deep down. And so to not... One thing I always, I always kind of think about is uh, some people have grown up with a father who took them fishing or played sports with them or something like that. And if certain situations in life come up, maybe a difficult conversation that you need to have or anything along those lines, I would imagine that some of those people can go back and listen to the advice of their father that's kind of, you know, kind of in their head there. I don't have an anchor point like that necessarily. So I had to create almost in my mind what I what I thought being a man uh, should look like. And I'm still working on that. <laughs> so what does it look like to you then versus now? So... Then it was the super bro, like you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Which I would argue that they're also compensating for something more than likely. I, I would agree. Yeah, definitely. because anybody that is is any all the way over on a scale of something. Yeah. To me, it's it, in my personal experience, it's because they are masking some other part of themselves, so they're overcompensating in the other direction. De- yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and I would I would fully agree with that. Um, Masculinity back then was just for just from the framework I was working with was a very was opposite of of what I think now someone that needed to be submissive, pleasing. um, That wait, I'm sorry. Yes, you're saying that that is how you were. And so you were looking for the opposite of that? Or what's this? Yeah, so... Submissive and pleasing would be which part of you? The Back past. then you were that. Back then I was that, yeah. Got it. I, I, so, I, so you're looking for... Okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, looking for approval. Very people-pleasing. Very um, submissive, just to gain approval kind of thing. Um, just because I never felt that... It's interesting that you consider that a feminine energy also. Oh, I don't mean to, to imply that. Oh, okay. Because I, I, uh, I, like, I was like, huh, that's curious. Because I think a lot of people would put that in a feminine energy space. Um, but it sounds like your mom was kind of a badass. She was sort of, you know, a businesswoman and take control. She's like, I want to have a baby. I'm going to do it. You know, that's a person that is not submissive nor... Not, and not so enough. it's curious yeah. that, they, that in your in your mind you felt like you were sort of this lesser than when you in fact had this role model that was yes but especially in that time totally yeah but to the point of too dominant and too controlling so I learned those behaviors to counteract the energy that was being presented that makes sense 
Yeah. yeah. So sort of like Norman Bates and his mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except I don't I don't want to kill anyone. That's great. <laughs> I love that show though. Um, yeah. And so no, when I when I speak or what I try to what I'm trying to to say with the feminine energy side is just the um just the softer, more ethereal approach to, to how I kind of frame life Mm -hmm. from a, always been, always been a writer, musician as well. Um, and, and that has an element of feminine energy to it. Totally. The creator. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So did your mom embody feminine energy much or was she definitely more of the masculine energy? Way more of the masculine energy. Mm -hmm. Very, um, uh, not one to talk through emotions a lot, very serious, very um, black and white in terms of right and wrong, of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was very intense. And to be someone who was naturally non-confrontational and also didn't necessarily have a strong sense of self or identity or what was supposed to be... Um, myself I guess uh, that it was just an interesting energy to to run against to sure. to, to find yourself in opposition because to even that shapes you I mean it, the Grand Canyon being a, a perfect example this massive canyon was built by you know raging waterways yes it, it yeah. responded to something far more aggressive than itself even though it was stone it still created this monumental thing Totally, and since I was looking to her so it's much, the weirdest for... metaphor I've ever pulled out of my ass. Or oh, we're rolling with it. Rolling. <laughs> right now, all the listeners are like, "What is she smoking?" <laughs> it was the first thing that popped in my head. That's awesome. Um, but... How old were you when you became self-aware of the fact that you wanted to be a more masculine presence in your own life? I think when I hit kind of middle school and high school, I was sick of always being submissive to my mom sick of always being in trouble sick of like just having this constant sense of anxiety it just wasn't good and a lot of that anxiety came from not knowing the boundaries on when it's okay to stand up for yourself and what it means to to have a true opinion so as I started looking around and hanging out with different friends and seeing their households and how they could talk back to their parents and uh really stand on their own two feet I was blown away because I could not do that in my own house that was like just just couldn't do it. It was going to be bad if I did that. So um, I was curious. That's kind of when my mind was open to, okay, I really don't have a sense of self. I'm just going through life trying to memorize tests, test answers so I can get through them and uh, gain approval there or trying to um, fabricate stories or come up with uh, some type of shell persona to gain approval within my household um and I definitely wanted to drop all of that so and I wasn't I didn't have the freedom to do that necessarily until senior year of high school and going into early college like freshman year of college as you developed that sense of self were you more confrontational with your mom and how did she respond if you were yeah so I was more confrontational with her But never in like a, a very disrespectful way. Just starting to stand up more and more. And I think by that point she was realizing the super intense 
hold that she had over me and how it was kind of keeping me back from uh, developing this sense of uh, confidence and self-reliance and, and things like that. So again, though, my way of coping with that is not inviting her in and explaining what's going on with it. It's more of throwing up or putting up this persona that meets a baseline of approval, but then going off and doing whatever I wanted to do. And in doing whatever I wanted to do, sometimes that would result in a failed class. Sometimes it would result in uh, speeding tickets that would affect uh, my insurance, things like that. And so when she got those little flashes of me not doing what she thought I was doing, that um, I think she started to see the picture a little more from there. Um, but then as I moved through college, I got into the biggest, the big thing that kind of changed everything for me was getting into martial arts. Mm. And in that way, it was a great hyper-masculine environment, but also very humbling at the same time. And that was the first time I had any type of like contact sport. Um, what was, which martial art? Uh, it's, it was just, so it was a branch of Kung Fu it's, um, but it was full contact, full sparring, things like that. So mm-hmm. um, that did a lot right there. That really opened a lot of doors in terms of um, just developing confidence for the first time. And, and how old and were you? I, so I was 20 at the mm-hmm. time there, 1920. Um, and I learned a lot of honesty from that, too, because th- through kind of the way I was raised, I unfortunately developed the habit of lying to stay out of trouble. And in lying to other people, little white lies, nothing crazy, you develop the the habit of lying to yourself as well. So creating this kind of shell persona, even within myself of of who I was and where I was going, that started to melt away too. And I went down a really great path of starting reading philosophy and, um, started going on this on this journey where I kind of came out of myself and I was able to be more honest with my mom down the road and uh, so I kind of came out of it slowly from there so how did you meet your wife so I moved to Nashville in 2011 to play music and that's when I met our mutual friend Steve Lester uh, hi Steve to, yeah hi Steve mm-hmm. <laughs> um and we started playing writers rounds, and then we eventually formed a band together. Uh, had a great run, did some great tours, got some great EPs out of it. Um, and he, at one point, was working at a, a bar downtown in the Gulch. And my wife had moved down here from Ohio at the time, and she had a day job working for Geo Digital, which was part of Gannett, um, which was the tennis, basically the digital version of the Tennessean. And then she worked at this particular place at night. I was driving limos or some crazy job at the time. Uh, and so I would go there when I when I got off work. And um, Steve would be working. I could go in there and just hang out with him. So one day, uh, Sarah, who's my wife, was working. And Steve said, hey, you should, you should meet my friend Kevin over here. And she was like, mm, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> just because... Um, she thought that I was um, maybe a reflection of 
like irresponsible musician guy. So <laughs> um, another mask. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Um, and we all wear them. I mean, we wear dozens of masks all day long. Life is a theater that we are playing parts in constantly, whether you're dealing with a banker or your grocery store clerk or your neighbor, your your person, the core who you are is the same, but you're still putting on various faces Yes. in, in your own way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and we know... We know how, how Steve can be a joking guy. Yeah. Um, he, I, he embodies, I think, very much an equal part masculine, feminine energy. Definitely. Yeah. And we, that, that's one of the reasons we get along so well is we, um, uh, we connect on that level for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... So, so... So Sarah said, nope. Yeah, because she thought I was going to be an offshoot of his kind of crazy joking nature. And she's like, no, I'm good on that. But then he's like, no, it's this guy over here pointing to me. And she's like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll meet him. Um, and I, again, going through the mask thing, I was too, I don't know what it was, assumptive in thinking that uh, she would actually be interested in me. So I just I just threw the wall up and it, it took her a little bit of work to break that down. But I'm really thankful she did because we went out... Um, for the first time a, a few days after that, and it was just... Does any of her energy remind you of your mom? That's a great question. Uh, she can definitely be super dominant at times, but I have evolved as a person to a level that that matches that. So now her, anytime she is in a dominant position, it's in a way that kind of leads us forward as a family, in a way that I would be... Maybe not as strong in. Mm-hmm. So, and by the same coin, I can show up with a feminine energy that she doesn't necessarily have. So our balance kind of comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what in year way. was this that you two met? So that was 2014. So you, at this point, already know that you are not your father's biological child. Correct, yes. Did you... At any point, go, I want to know who my dad is. Was that a possibility, or were all those records sealed? Um, my mom has said it was a possibility, but I it would take a lot of digging. Uh, and so after I found out, that was kind of like this secret that I would just tell to the people closest to me. So everyone that I've told, Steve, another one of our buddies, my wife... They're like me and and you and thirty thousand people. <laughs> hey, everyone. Uh, Some of whom may be related to you. You don't know. Hey, you never know. Uh, you can do twenty three and me and find out. Nice. That's not nerve wracking at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the, Everyone that I've told has encouraged me to try. They're like, "We gotta find him. We gotta do this." And I was like, "No, I don't. I don't really. I don't really want to necessarily." How come? I don't. I don't know what it would change. I'm kind of hung up on that. Like, what would it change if you found out this? If you found out that? And I don't know if I really mean that. Like, my perspective is gonna stay the same, or if I'm, or if it's defensive. Like, what are you afraid of? Exactly. Yeah. So, what do you Um, think you are afraid of? I like to look in the mirror and try to guess what parts of me are parts of him. And it's kind of like one of those things, like, have you ever met someone you idolized and then you're like... Never meet your heroes. Exactly. That's that's a phrase for a reason. 
Definitely. And I'm not <laughs> so sure if this particular person is a hero, necessarily. I mean, they are in sort of. I, like, I'm thankful the that they volunteer. Hero, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And I'm thankful that they decided to volunteer for that project back then. Um, and, yeah. and now I'm here. But I don't... I mean, what would we talk about? What would we say? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I am curious to hear maybe, like... I bet he's creative. Oh, yeah. And he was a medical student at the time, so smart, creative guy. Well, cool. I, I think medical students are absolutely artists, for sure. 100%. Yeah, yeah I would agree. Um, so it would be fascinating. I don't know. I just don't have, for whatever reason, there's not this drive within me to, mm-hmm. to go on the hunt for that. Um, so, yeah. Have you ever thought about doing DNA tests, though, just to find out even things, like medical histories, or just where your lineage hails from a part of Africa or Asia or any of that kind of stuff you know that is that is cool I would be more interested in that yeah yeah 23 me is great I did it I loved it this oh, really? is not a plug for them they do not pay me to say it <laughs> nobody pays me to say anything I just uh I think that they are uh I thought it was really really cool that's awesome well I you know I'm definitely definitely open to that because because who knows what it what it could be and what's in there who knows yeah, that's right. The thought at first was to see if there was any family lineage of, of any sorts of disease. Of I course. Guess. Yeah, or, or, you know, heart heart disease, whatever, sure. history of Alzheimer's, whatever it could be. Um, I suppose that would still be a, a smart thing to see, but... Um, so... I don't you... know, maybe, there might still be a part that... Um, just wants to control the outcome. Yeah. And I'm good with kind of what what I found out and maybe I subconsciously can't handle anymore. Yeah, moment. I mean it's it's all on you, it's what you want or need. Uh when when did you get married was twenty you said fourteen? No, so it's when you met was twenty fourteen. Yeah, when married, did you marry? married September of sixteen. And then a baby came along basically right away, sounds like Yeah, basically right see, away. See, look at me getting better at math. Every yeah. Day. Um <laughs> She was born March of 17, mm-hmm. if you want to do the math. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you had mentioned that being a father has, again, changed a perspective. How so? And it, does it different that you have a daughter versus how you, I'll, again, conjecture, you don't know what it's like to have a son because you haven't had one yet. Right. And, yeah. Uh, but how did that shape you once again? New role, new mask, father. Right, exactly. It just keeps coming up here. Um, that day that she was born was crazy for, for a lot of reasons. First of all, it was, it was just very intense going through the process. Um, my wife delivered naturally, which was super cool to watch and experience and be a part of. Um, so, so on one hand, I'm kind of coming down from the adrenaline of like helping her through that, supporting her and everything. Um, but I noticed that my initial reaction after a couple of days was uh, very kind of standoffish and avoidant um, of, the, of, of the of the baby because it was just so overwhelming. It was like it was amazing to me that I've gone through this whole history of not really feeling a solid foundation of leadership or uh, like like strong self-identity and now all of a sudden I have this overwhelming huge responsibility where I have to really step up to the plate too I mean way more than than I've ever um, you know tried to evolve into before and so at first 
uh, it was almost like I was the one with the postpartum depression. It was just so like crazy to me. It took a, it took a while to kind of absorb all of that. How We're, long is a while? Probably the first six months oh, wow. trying to process everything. Um, we were also going through a lot of the time. We were selling a house and buying a new house at the time. Um, and so I was really trying to stay focused and, and getting all that taken care of so my wife could relax and, and take care of Penelope. That's our daughter. Oh, cool name. Yeah, thank you. So when you held, oops, when you yeah, held sorry. Penelope in your arms as a dad and yet you're having uh, existential crises in the middle of it. Yeah. Uh, but also you have this history of feeling disconnected. So how did those, how were they at odds with each other? Knowing I feel disconnected from this baby right now. And I was a baby that felt disconnected. Well, how do you, how do you connect the dots there? It's, it's taken this long to kind of figure that all out. And it was how it manifested itself in the moment was just kind of survival mode. I just wanted to make sure everyone was okay. And I couldn't, process my own feelings necessarily it was super surreal and this sense of like suspended reality where I'm looking at this beautiful amazing being that (laughs) I helped create and yet I don't like I don't know what that means I have that waiting in the water kind of feeling again with no anchor point and and part of her being is a person you've never met exactly which so it's just this kind of it was very uh you you just really can't describe it until you know I kind of really took the time to process that I have this new role upon me and did you have an aha moment or was it a gradual climb? It was a gradual climb. And, and then almost one day, it's like all those feelings just melted away. And it's like I saw her for who she was for the first time. And like that cloud of, I don't know if it was confusion or just time to process kind of lifted. And now, like, I'm unbelievably in, in love with her. Like, it's like a full-blown connection. It's almost like when I see her... It's like the feeling that I get looking at her. It's like that's always been at the core of like my deepest feeling of love. And now I get to look at that reflected back at me every day. So it goes from this whole kind of uh, numbing, earth-shattering experience to like we've now finally come full circle and feel... 100% 100% connected to her and and feel like a new person uh, since the experience as well. But um, I'm st- why- oh yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, I, I'm still trying to put words to to that to that first day and that first kind of period. I think um, I imagine a lot of parents, men and women, are overwhelmed. You know, to a point of clear absolutely. to near crises because absolutely you've there's a there's a new creature in the world that you're wholly responsible for in yeah. every way, shape, or form. It's just, that's got to be insane. 100%. Having yeah. no experience with it myself, but having witnessed it with other people, I, man. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And 
I, th- I think a lot of it, like I said, I was just trying to hold it together because who knows what would happen if I... Did your wife spoke. say anything to you, especially since you said sometimes she took on the role of of the the helming the ship, if you will? Mm-hmm. Um, did she notice that you were not quite all in? She did, yeah, and she was concerned for a while and then um, very concerned for a while, actually. Um I'm not sure the exact extent to which she was concerned. Maybe she perceived that, like, uh, I hope she didn't perceive that I had some regrets or anything. It definitely wasn't that. But I was, I was very shut down. I didn't communicate a lot with her. I didn't, I didn't know what to do. It was very kind of a paralyzing experience for a few months there. So how did you get through it? Because I'm sure there are other people that feel that, and any advice would probably be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So, so my wife had said. finally came to me and said hey I'm really worried like you seem she's like not to sound harsh but you seem like you don't really like our baby and I was like oh my god no 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 like I I love our baby to the point where like I can't even express it it's it's almost paralyzing like I said so I said I that kind of opened up my eyes to the point I was like okay you're being way too standoffish like let's let's engage a little bit here so I would um slowly start taking over more and more responsibilities and um I was I was so nervous to hold her all the time so I started just having more time holding her and really kind of sitting in those feelings of anxiety and am I really ready for this just really holding her and processing those thoughts at the same time kind of slowly broke down those walls and as I um developed confidence to change diapers feed her, um, you know, feed her a bottle, things like that, uh, get her, get her in her onesies, you know, th- just these little tasks that compounded on top of itself where I started to believe like, no, I'm, I'm ready for this. I can do this. And as I started to feel that more, I think our baby could feel that too. And she was starting to recognize me more and, um, I just kind of slowly moved towards it. So I think, that if you are feeling that sense of overwhelm, that it's 100% natural because we care so much. It's like you almost don't want to do anything to mess it up. So my wife was amazing right out of the gate. I mean, as, as natural as I guess you could say, she's the natural. So to watch her just handle it with ease, I kind of took a back seat, which, um, inadvertently made her kind of feel isolated in the experience so um but once I took those baby steps to kind of just really allow myself to feel and um work through the discomfort uh it all it all worked out so mm-hmm. did you do uh any kind of therapy all along the way or was this all self figuring out no so I've uh, been with a therapist for probably two and a half years or so going through going through all of this but especially um, I started seeing him in the first place uh, because I knew that eventually Sarah and I would want to have a child and uh, I knew a lot of these things that we've talked about here today could potentially affect all of that um, and it did but I was able to talk uh, well not not in the way I thought it would, but it, it did affect me when she was first born in the sense of that wave of overwhelm and um, uh, 
avoidance in some points. So, yes, so I was able to talk to him, work through a lot of that. Um, and a lot of what I just shared right there is, is, a, is a therapeutic tactic, is to um, just kind of slowly sit with those feelings of discomfort until they kind of go away. And basically what you're doing there is um, just training yourself to believe that that you're capable of whatever comes your way. That it's just a, it's just a feeling. It's just an emotion. You know, it's just a signal. It has nothing to do with your actual capabilities. I think that's a very good message. Yeah. To hear. Yeah. So as we kind of learn to accept those as waves that are passing through us and move towards what we need to do, um, that is where the real power lies. And pretty much, pretty much everything that we've talked about right now, whether you're dealing with an identity issue or maybe you just become a new new parent for the first time, though any of those kind of crippling, paralyzing thoughts, they're, they're just there to guide you towards that new stage in your life. So if you can learn to feel that and go through them almost as like windows or devices into this new level of uh, evolving in consciousness, it seems to be what it's all about lately. What are you yeah. still aiming toward? What are you still trying to figure out? I want to continue along this path of, of opening. I love what's happening right now. I've never been in a better place than, than I am right now. And I want to continue that. And I want to continue sharing that with anyone who, who may be struggling with, with what I've struggled. So I want to continue to um, just continue that ever expanding sense of figuring out who we are, not only as an individual, but as a whole. I've noticed that as I open up with all of these things, I open up to other people a lot easier too. And that, um, through strengthening that connection with other people, it strengthens the connection with myself. So, um, that's the essence of, Hey human. right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you were to go back to your, let's just say, pick a number 10 year old self, was there anything, anyone, if, let's say you can time travel mm-hmm. and you go back to your 10 year old self who doesn't know it's you and would there have been anything you could have said to help change the course of all of this and maybe uh, given some tools to him? Yeah, definitely. I would have said, um, you know, don't be so afraid to, don't be so afraid of what you feel. The intensity and these thoughts that you feel are part of what make you who you are. Um, Try not to spend so much time dwelling on those thoughts and spend more time um, I just hit a wall there because I don't know what, what that person would have spent more time doing. Like riding their bike, spending time with their friends. You mean little you? Little me, yeah. Because like it's easy to say stuff like that when I'm kind of in and a part of the world. Now I have a lot of um, things to work on and things to do, but I'm trying to think. I think it's hard for adults to wrap their minds around kids, which is yeah. in and of itself fascinating because we all were kids. Totally. So where do we lose that that memory and that empathy 
you know, ah, kids, get off my lawn, quit playing, you know, whatever it is that we say to them. You know, I I look at kids as I'm walking around, I think, oh, man, they remember how to play and how to laugh and how to not care. And, you know, they don't have the burden of the world on their shoulder as much. They do now, maybe, because of so many things going on. Right. But still, there's that sense of, hey, kid, you got you got everything. Yeah. You know, if if they're lucky. Obviously there's plenty of kids that don't have that and but that's a whole nother conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. But you were raised in a safe environment, so for the most part. For the most part, yeah. yeah. So to to go back and say, Yeah, get on your bike, ride around and Right. And then and just experience more of yourself. And because what I was going to say is just take more action. Well, today, taking more action means working harder, reading more books, um, going out and meeting more people, networking, things like that, uh, taking more action as a 10-year-old. And well, and I say take more action because through that action of, of living, I get out of my head and the anxiety kind of kind of floats away when I'm in direct contact with, with other people. So whatever the 10-year-old version of that mm-hmm. is... I would I would encourage more of that, and I would yeah. also encourage you know don't be afraid of who my mom was at the time. Go ahead and stand up and say what you're feeling. It's, it's not as scary as it seems. She's going through her own battles and her own um, fears. Yeah. And but that's a lot easier said than done. Well, and you were also a kid. Yeah. And so it wasn't your responsibility to make your mom happy. Yeah. Or to placate her needs, or even. You know what I mean? It, it, you totally. were the kid, and yeah. she was the adult, and so putting that kind of pressure on you was it was not a good thing, right? Which I, I'm sure you know that, and she probably at this point, in retrospect, hopefully knows that as well. I'm sure you've talked about it. So yes, yeah, yeah. definitely, yeah. The kids I, are incredibly resilient too. I I had some stuff growing up that was pretty intense, and yeah. and how we deal with that as children. Um, we're here. We're still here. We've made it to this. Exactly. And so, you know, I honored the 10-year-old you for for sticking with it when you didn't have to. Yeah. And a lot of people don't. Yeah, thank you. That's, um, that is amazing. And I have a ton of uh, compassion and empathy towards anyone else who's, who's gone towards that kind of thing. Like, I totally, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. Um and I think, so that what you said right there brought up an interesting thought for me. With this concept of like inherited identity, you can either choose to carry that with you, you know, all the way into whatever age you happen to be today, or uh, you can view that as just part of the, you know, part of the spectrum. It's as we continue to to grow and evolve. That was just that in the moment. And if you get caught up on that inherited identity as your own, that's where the, that's when you stop, I guess. And the beautiful thing is, is because of those experiences, there are now times where instead of putting on the mask, you get to take off the mask because you have that empathy. And empathy is taking off the mask and saying, I see you, I feel you, I hear you, I'm here. You know, you know what I mean? Definitely. And so that's, in and of itself, what a gift that yes. is. Yes. 
Yeah. Sure doesn't feel like that in the moment, obviously, when yeah. we're kids and we're stressed or crying or feeling overwhelmed or whatever, or even as adults. No, totally. But that statement right there, I think, is the new approach to, is an approach that I'm trying to take to parenting. I read a book by um, Dr. Shafali Sabari, I think her name is. She has a book uh, called The Awakened Family, and uh, part of the book are these parenting myths that a lot of people have kind of fallen victim to. And one of those parenting myths, according to her, is that parenting is about the child. Like, I have to focus on the child, and they have to achieve this certain thing. They have to fulfill this certain need of myself, uh, whether that's conscious or or unconscious. But her counter-argument to that is that, no, parenting is about you as the parent doing what we just talked about, taking off that mask and seeing and experiencing that child for who they are in the moment and and reciprocating that empathy back and forth, not having these uh, expectations placed on them um, that can lead to them developing the mask in the first place. Right. It's yeah. a question of looking at your child as being its own individual human being versus a piece of you that maybe did or did not fulfill some sort of destiny yes. that is in your mind as an adult, you know. Right. Uh, or fulfills some sort of need. You know, maybe maybe someone had a kid out of the need to please their parents. Maybe that was sure. an expectation of their family. And if they don't have a child, then they're not meeting the expectations of their family. And, and then when they do have that child born out of that need, that child absorbs that inherited identity, and that can lead to anxiety. I mean, it's like a, a picture of a baby, you know, ready to take its first steps, and in front of it is the vast land that will be its life, and everywhere, just beneath the surface, are landmines, and this baby has to navigate to the other side of this massive field that is their life, and try not to step on those landmines, and those landmines our expectation, whether it's right. self-imposed or or the powers that be around them, you know, parental or advertising or whatever it is. Absolutely. You know, how we get there is a mystery in and of itself. Definitely, yeah, that's beautifully <laughs> put. Uh, that's, yeah. So I think, and, and it's, it's way easier said than done. I mean, I can already catch myself sometimes, uh, you know, placing an expectation uh, on our daughter thinking like something um, should be different and but but I immediately can retract it before I verbalize it or act on it but I know but I can you know just the self-awareness of um, noticing how easy it is to, to place expectations on on others it's a it's it's a challenging task but it's one thing that is super important and mm-hmm. that I stay conscious of every day yeah Kevin, this has been such a lovely conversation. Thank you. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Yeah, I noticed that you did bring in a notebook. Did we cover everything that you wanted to talk about? Oh, yeah, just in case, you know, just in case I got nervous. I didn't want to forget anything No, I'm a big list maker. (laughs) They're all over the place. I'm a big fan, so. Yeah, I was just, I mean, we touched on the inherited identity thing. Um, Yeah, and then I think we touched on this, too. Just what does it mean to be fully human and not... um, God, who knows? Yeah, exactly. That's what we're trying to... That's what you're exploring in your podcast. Um, But I think a a spectrum of that is just the the recognizing of that continual... uh, What am I trying to say there? Just 
recognizing the eternal rather than the fixed. I'll sum it up that way. Hmm. What does that mean to you? So it means that I, both of us, in this moment right now, are on a constantly changing, ever-evolving path of opening up to our true selves. And whether that true self is just pure being and therefore almost nothingness, or at least nothing that can be described with words, um, then that is kind of the, kind of the beauty in it. We are instead of trying to come to some fixed destination, the observation of that journey through um, fixed experiences is is where the juice is. Yeah, it's the journey. It was never Ithaca. Do you know that poem about Ithaca? Uh, it's a great poem. No, I don't. But basically, uh, the the crux of it is that it was. It's never about Ithaca. It's about all the steps you take to get there. It's a really beautiful poem. I'll read it to you afterward. Off the and I'll, so, I'll put it on the links page if people want to go read awesome. it. But it's really lovely and beautiful. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin. No, thank you. How can people find much. you in the um, world at large if they may? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you I have music? We do have music, uh, whynotbekings.com. Whynotbekings.com. Uh, yep, we're not really playing too much anymore, but that's still up there. It's still okay. a great thing. Um, if you want to email you with questions or... Yeah, so it's my... Um, it's McElroy.Kevin86 at Gmail. I guess we can put that in the show notes. I, yeah, I can yeah. put it in the links page. Yeah, but it's a M-C-E-L-R-O-Y dot Kevin 86 at Gmail. Okay. Um, no spam, please. No spam. Only yeah. serious questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, if you have you have any questions or if you want to start start a conversation or anything, um, I'm even happy to get on the phone. Let's you know. That's just awesome. Keep it Let's going. not put your phone number out here yet, but people right. can email you first and then go from there. Yeah. Yeah, so Kevin, cool. thank you for being on Hey Human. No, thank you. I really appreciate. it. I really enjoyed this conversation. Me too. Yeah. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Perfect.